This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the Senior Editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Just over two years ago, in March 2021, the U.S. Department of Education released to school districts $112 billion. That money had been appropriated by Congress in a third wave of federal spending expected to facilitate recovery from the pandemic. It was part of a larger package, which went into tens of billions of dollars. And many economists think that the massive federal spending spree has kicked off an inflationary spiral that is causing the collapse of major banks and uh, is causing inflation that the Federal Reserve Board is struggling to contain. So is this worth it? Especially was the education component worth it? That's our focus today. So we're going to look at this third wave, the elementary and secondary school emergency relief money. That's called ESSER. That's how the acronym, so we don't know what it means, right? ESSER, who can remember what that means? So that obscure disguise of how money is being spent is covering $112 billion. Now, this money's got to be spent by the next presidential election, by September 2024, just, you know, a month before the election. So fortunately, we have a group out there at the Georgetown University, the Edgenomics Lab there, headed up by Marguerite Rosa, who's really taking a careful look at this. And they have released a study which has appeared in Education Next, and its title is The Massive ESSER Experiment. Here's what we're learning. And the uh, study was conducted by Catherine Silberstein and uh, Marguerite Rosa. And I'm very pleased to have uh, Marguerite Rosa, the director of the lab, with me on the Education Exchange today. So thank you, Marguerite, for joining me. Yeah, I'm happy to be here, and I'm glad you're interested in the topic. Well, so let me ask you this question. Uh, how obscure is the spending? I mean, we know the title is obscure. Is the, is the way the money being handed out uh, really hard to find out what's going on? Well, we know which districts are getting it and how much they're getting. What we don't necessarily know is, as much as we'd like about what choices each district is making in how they're spending it. And even more importantly, whether it's delivering value for students. Um, many states, so the money went to districts and the 14,000 districts in this country got to choose how to spend their share of the funds. Um, and really nobody was on point for tracking, at least across broad swaths of districts, how what choices they were making. So some states, have chosen to track that money and release a bit of data on it. It may not be as, as um, detailed as data we would like, but some have chose not to release any data or don't have any data. So a lot of it is a guessing game. We um, are picking up some bits and pieces of information from the different states. We are keeping an eye on a lot of districts, but again, every district can make its own choice. So we are learning some things, but it is it's not quite the full picture we would like. Well, what's the state's role in all of this? A district is the creature of the state, ultimately. So aren't the states telling the districts they have to report how they're spending the money? 
Well, um, you know, all of this happened very quickly. The money went to the states, the districts could start spending it, and they invoiced the state for a reimbursement. The money is so flexible, really, that um, in their invoicing mechanisms, you you know, whatever information the state was picking up out of that invoicing is is whatever it has now. And in some states, it's not much. You know, you, you could basically, if you were a district, say, I spent it on salaries. And we don't know if that's every teacher got a raise, if it was bus drivers, if we hired new special ed staff, if we paid for tutors um, or things like that, or, um, you know, all new employees. So there's still a lot of detail missing, even if you say, I spent it on salaries. Um, and then in some districts, they may be invoiced, or some states, they may be invoicing the state for the money, but there isn't a, a data collection mechanism in place to capture that information or at least report it publicly. So unfortunately, it, there's just not as much information as we would like in something like such a huge monumental investment like this one. Well, so how much... Uh... Can the states do? Can they tell the districts you must spend it on tutoring, or you must spend it on uh, extending the school year, or you must spend it on improving your ventilation system? Do, do, does the state have the power to direct the districts as to how to no. spend the money? No, the Congress wrote into the law that a state may not limit the options that a district has and how to spend its money. That said, districts were kind of confused when they got the money and were looking around for leadership on what to do. What are we trying? What should we be doing with this money? And some states stepped in with some strong leadership, like Tennessee um, is one that comes to mind, where the state said, you know, if you do tutoring, we'll match it with some of our state funds. You know, we think this is a good objective. We're publishing all our test scores. You can see our kids have some gaps in learning here. This is what I hope you focus on. They brought superintendents together across the state to really talk about this money. Um, and in other states, there really wasn't that same level of leadership. So, um, you know, in a lot of states, each district got to make the choices it wanted. And we saw, we're seeing the full range. You know, some make really thoughtful strategic decisions and other ones you're seeing the money kind of evaporate and you're worried it's not going to deliver much value for students overall in the places where you're able to see how the money is being spent uh you see you know what let me put it this way what percentage is that actually being spent on tutoring kids so that they can catch up that's one of the interventions that some people have said out there is the most effective intervention is to working with the students who are behind and helping them catch up how much of this money is being spent for that purpose do you think there's no way to know really no way to know so in most states there's no accounting for the money based on tutoring. Um, and in, a, in a, a few, we have some indication of that. It's a relatively smaller piece of the pie, um, but in many states, what you would see is, is um, that a large chunk of the money is spent on salaries. And we, don't, we can't tell if it's every teacher got a raise or we paid teachers extra to do tutoring. 
So that answer, we will not ever, ever get a precise number. We won't. So if we ever want to do a study of how should this money have been spent, or in the future, how should we spend our money, we'll never have the data in order to be able to say, well, those districts who concentrated their expenditures on tutoring, we saw that they did a great job of helping the kids recover. We'll never be able to say that. Not nationally. I think there are one or two states that have a tracking of tutoring, um, but you know, definitions of that even can, can really vary. And that's one of our takeaways is that um, the, the lack of information or the lack of consistent information, which I'm also sympathetic for. Districts had a lot on their plate and so did states. To stand up a data collection system without you know, much federal um, uh, leadership on that would have been pretty hard in the moment. But at the same time, it means we won't we don't have at least a mid-course way, an honest reflection of this money, the, the kind of honest reflection that acknowledges both our successes and areas where there could have been improvement in the use of these really sizable sum, sums of money. Well, another way to spend emergency money that just sort of falls into your lap um, is to say, well, you know, we've had these construction projects that we wanted to get underway for years, and now we have the money to do it. Let's let's build this addition to the school, or let's put in the rehabilitation system or the air conditioning system, or do some enhancements that we have long wanted to do. Is that the, is is that the way the money is being spent? Do you see any signs that the handsome share of the of the pot is being targeted in that direction. Yeah, in the end, about a quarter to a third will have probably been spent on facilities. And on the one hand, a district might say, I can knock off this facilities improvement. I can re-roof the cafeteria or something, which they are allowed to do. And, um, and I don't saddle myself with recurring costs going forward. On the other hand, for districts where kids are really behind in math and reading, it's hard to argue that fixing the roof is gonna solve that problem. Um, then again, a piece of this law said, go talk to your community and come together on, on what you're choosing to spend the money on. And facilities projects are relatively popular with parents. So we're seeing them, especially in, in some smaller districts where it might be harder to raise levies to, to knock off some of these facilities projects. Um, and so we're seeing that. And Philadelphia, I think, spent a third of its money on, on facilities projects. And also at the same time, Philadelphia had some pretty um, lousy buildings. So I can understand the, the appetite for that. Yes, well, you know, you might say well, maybe this is exactly the right way to spend the money. Just give the money to the districts and let the local community decide how they want to allocate it. Because if you want to trust your local government to do the best for their community, why wouldn't you just give them the money? Well, I, I and I don't, I'm not against having the community weigh in. I think that can create more accountability, more eyes on the money and, and more expectations for the outcomes. I'm not sure that's what was sold in Congress, right? That this was a, 
an opportunity to just sort of knock off some construction projects and, and do that. It was very much considered a rescue plan. The idea was that um, school schooling and, and children in particular had taken a hit because of the pandemic. And this money was to rescue them from those impacts. And it's right there in the name, it's right there in the opening language of the law. And I think um, that the public and certainly parents and children had ex an expectation that they would um, get back on track as a result of these investments. Some of these facilities projects won't be done until after the kids who were in school during the pandemic have left, right? If you were in ninth grade during the pandemic, that this facilities project will be finished after you've graduated from high school. Um, and so it, it, it may not ever benefit from it. And in that sense, it sounds like an investment in the structure of the district going forward, but not necessarily a remedy for the impacts that kids suffered from being, you know, in remote learning and not having full opportunities for schooling for, in some cases, a, even a year. Well, I can understand what you're saying there, uh, Marguerite, but I can also say, well, it's a little ambiguous as to what was the emergency. Was the emergency, the economy was collapsing and the government had to spend a lot of money in order to keep the economy going and the, and the local revenue that was going to come into the school district was tanking because the property values were collapsing and Nobody was buying anything in the stores. And so sales tax revenues were down, income was down. So they, there was a huge fiscal crisis. So all this was originally intended just to simply substitute for local money during a fiscal crisis. Is that what was their objective or did they, did that never happen? There was never a fiscal crisis at all, right? Well, I, we gave a lot of money to states and it was the state money we were worried more about than the local money. Um, and you're right, it didn't collapse. And this was this third wave was approved a year after the pandemic started. So we knew the economy hadn't collapsed. But I, I would argue um, that you're right in the sense we did not have a clear North Star with these funds. And that shows. It shows in the confusion that districts have over how to spend it. It, it shows in the mixed um, guidance they're getting from states and the federal government. All of the testing data shows that middle school math took a big dive, that kids didn't learn math when they were remote and they've missed some basic skills in math that they need to go to be successful going forward. And this could be lifelong impacts for these kids. And yet some districts aren't using their funds to do anything about it. Some of them are, but again, it's very much up to the district to choose. And I think what we're seeing is that the money didn't come with any clear objective. Um, I think we could have had stimulus money and still had an objective. You know, we could have said, spend it and fix all your facilities, or we could have said, spend it, first get your kids back on track, and then whatever you have left, spend on facilities. But we didn't say any of that, really. And so, um, you know, sometimes you're seeing labor unions negotiate large sums just as an increase in base pay, which you'd also say, I understand inflation is high. I, I understand the impulse 
to negotiate larger wages, but that doesn't accomplish either a long-term impact on your facilities or a long-term impact on remedying the math gaps. So I guess the learning here would be, we need to have an agreed upon North Star so that districts, when they have all this flexibility, know what they're aiming at. And we, we've heard district leaders say that very thing, it's just stimulus, right? I'm just supposed to spend it really fast. And they were saying this after, you know, the, the, the feds are trying to cool the economy. And I was like, no, no, the economy's going strong. We didn't, we're, we don't, that's not what the point of this is. You want to make sure you're having some lasting impact on the intended beneficiaries, which I would argue were students. Well, that's fine. But, you know, there's a deadline. September 24 is what the money has to be spent. So if you don't spend it by then, you lose it. So spend it or lose it. Districts know that that date comes really fast. You got a plan now for expenditures for next year. Otherwise, you won't be able to make those expenditures. You got to hire the staff or you got to contract out for building the uh, addition to the school or whatever. So that all that uh, takes some heads up planning. So I can see why they were uh, trying to spend the money fast, but maybe the whole concept of emergency relief legislation was misguided that Congress should never have passed this in the first place. Well, I think, I think there, this is why we argue there should, it'd be, we'd be useful to have an honest reflection because certainly Congress will approve more funds in the future. And if we could learn how to strengthen the laws that come with these funds, we might have more to show for it than we did. Not to say we have nothing to show for it. We, you know, there are kids who didn't get special ed services who, because of this money, got recovery services. There were um, positions that were open, like bus drivers and districts had cash on hand. They could pay bonuses and get the kids to school. There were plenty of, of positive things, but in mixed in between are plenty of, of questionable things or eyebrow raising things or things that maybe weren't the expected you know, um, intention of the money. And I and I guess that is still an open question of who or what was supposed to be the beneficiary of these funds. And if it was children, um, then we didn't see a lot of the money land in families or kids. A lot of it went to labor. Um, and we understand, you know, that always happens in education. A lot of it went to vendors and um nonprofits and for-profits who sign contracts with school districts. And those are, are both the largest beneficiaries, but very few districts, uh, you know, paid students to come to school or paid families to do their, make sure their kids did their homework with them. Uh, there are a few examples of that, um, but mostly the, the money didn't land in the bank accounts of families. And that may be fine because they weren't the intended beneficiary, but I don't know that anybody's clear on that. So what's going to happen in 2025 when all this money stops? It's now been flowing out of Washington. This is the third wave. So there's been three waves. It started with the beginning of the pandemic in March of 2020, and it's been rolling and rolling on. And now it's going to come to an end. We can almost predict. We almost can predict. I don't know that we can fully predict, but we can we can bet that Congress is going to be much more reluctant 
to put out a fourth wave than it has been in the past. So what's going to happen then? Then people have to start, uh, you know, tightening their belts. How, how do you how do you see that developing? Well, we think it's going to be a massive impact. It'll be a mixed impact. So some districts will have spent it on a facilities project and they'll go back and do their regular annual spending. Some have used it to hire a whole lot of people or to continue to pay for people they haven't needed in a while. So districts like Minneapolis had seen a lot of enrollment declines that started before the pandemic. And so they've used this money to hold on to extra excess staff. And eventually those, you know, they'll have to shrink their workforce. Some have given out permanent raises they won't be able to afford. Some have hired new counselors and things like that, and and some and may then turn around and lay off those positions. A few states are going to try to make up the gap, but that's a sizable gap, and and they would be pressured to do that at the very moment we're starting to see a slowing in state state revenues. So it's going to be tough to do that. There's going to be pressure from higher ed on states to spend money on them. So. Um, and then some states are going to say, no, we're not going to we're not going to try to offset this money. So I think it will be a, a mixed bag with a whole lot of districts teetering toward insolvency and many more layoffs than we've seen in the last decade. So ironically, we could have an emergency relief bill that produces local government, local school district bankruptcy. Is that a right. possibility? We we could it could it could spur that it could also um, maybe create the case for another an emergency relief bill to offset the last emergency relief bill. I don't I don't really know. I'm being I'm joking here. I don't think Congress has the appetite, but I also don't think we have seen in most um, people's tenure and leadership and anything like what's coming down the pike. So we'll, well see. There's, a, there's always the red state, blue state. Uh, story. Uh, we know that the in education, they're going off in different directions. Do you see any differences between the way the red states are handling the money and the way the blue states are handling the money? You know, we we don't because money went to districts and the districts are making choices. But at the state level, some red states are saying, well, we got all this federal cash lying around. Um, we can lower taxes. And so they may have a harder time sort of smoothing this out for districts going forward. Um, Texas, interestingly, the state agency warned districts, you ought to fill up your reserves right now because when this money runs out, you're going to be in trouble. So you you see some of them playing saying things like that, whereas in in some red states, um, uh, the state is already positioning itself to to continue to increase taxes and or, um, so, you know, sort of take over where the federal money left off uh, for their districts. But not every district fits that or not every state fits that pattern. There are red states where the state has moved quickly to raise teacher pay across the board, which raises overall um, uh, costs, you know, and 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 the state's committed to pay them. So I don't know that it's really a clean divide. Um, we are seeing, though, some states move toward um, authorizing voucher or ESA 
you know, uh, or scholarship funds for students to attend non-public schools. And I think that will that could change the equation in some of those states. This is just a fascinating uh, study overall. It just tells us how uh, when the Congress decides to do something, it can have all kinds of ramifications that we never anticipated. What do you think is the solution then? What's, uh, what's your policy recommendation? Well, I, I, I've been emphatic that this money needed a North Star. We should have been very clear about what we hoped for students. If we wanted to get them back on track academically, we should have said so. And I think we should that should have been the North Star. I also think we should have measured our progress along the way. And there we're not seeing a lot of that. A few states are doing a, a good job of measuring some progress. Connecticut is one of them. Um, but many states aren't. And I think that's a mistake. I, I think data could have been really helpful to drive districts to make progress along, along the way with this money and really deliver more value for students. But I don't think our education system has been super great at using data for improvement. I mean, they think of data as an accountability or a gotcha. And I think we need to do a lot better job of investing in the data infrastructure. And, and lastly, I think, you know, we're really relying on district leaders to spend this federal windfall. And um, so we need to make sure that our district leaders are trained and up for the task to make decisions to spend public funds in ways that deliver value for their kids. Our center is, is, is um, delivering a certificate in ed finance for a lot of these mid-career district leaders because most of them have not had any training in that critical part of their job. And that's true whether it's federal relief money or your, your annual um, state and local and federal public funds. So those are, those are some of our, our thoughts on it. Well, thank you for those recommendations, Marguerite, and thank you for your excellent study of ESSER, the Elementary and Secondary Emergency Relief uh, Act. Uh, I've been speaking with Margaret Rosa. She's the director of the Edunomics Lab at Georgetown University. Education Next has just released a, their study under the title, The Massive ESSER Experiment. Here's what we're learning. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast every Monday at noon Eastern time.